a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. So President Biden announced an Indo-Pacific economic pact as part of his journey to South Korea and Japan. And we want to dig into that. What does that really mean? Uh, Is it part of an effective counter to China? Uh, What's going right? What are the pitfalls of these nations? And uh, how do we make sure we avoid those uh, to move everything forward? And pleased to to turn to Christine McDaniel, Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. She previously served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury Department and as a Senior Trade Economist in the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Christine, thanks for joining us today. Nice to be here, Boyd. Thanks for having me. Well, wonderful. Let's let's dive into this uh, first. Just the, the kind of this unveiling yesterday of the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Uh, give us some sense of what that is, and more importantly, why that is. Why now? Well, so this has been in the works for a while. Uh, you might recall that we initially years ago part of this Trans-Pacific Partnership with with many countries in Asia and and, and Australia. And then uh, when President Biden came into office, he pulled us out of that. And, you know, a lot of um, U.S. businesses and farmers were disappointed because, you know, they were going to get better market access into those markets. And then meanwhile, uh, you know, fast forward to today and a number of countries are doing deals with each other and all kind of on the sidelines. But we're also more and more interested in other issues like, you know, energy security, um, digital flows, other secu- national security issues, um, internet, um, and um, and so this is a way for the the U.S. to re-engage in Asia to um, you know to, to try to strengthen those ties without necessarily doing a, a trade agreement per se. All right, and uh, as that all rolls in, of course, uh, all eyes have been on China uh, in the course of that trip by the president. Uh, seeing how they would react and respond uh, to a number of things. Obviously, the president's comment about Taiwan drew a lot of the attention, uh, but I think there's a lot of messages in terms of of just the tariffs, what's working and what's not working, and then what message does this Indo-Pacific economic framework uh, mean for that as well? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the big reasons that uh, to to have done the Trans-Pacific Partnership in the first place years ago was really all about China, right? Because, you know, we realized, well, look, we can't change China's behavior, but we can uh, strengthen our ties with other countries in the region. And, you know, if if we and a whole bunch of other countries agree to do business, you know, um, sort of market-oriented way, then, um, you know, then that will kind of force China's hand. But if they don't want to do it, fine, but then they don't get, you know, free access to all of our markets. 
So, you know, and that is, um, I, it looks like uh, the, the realization that this administration is coming back to where, you know, after years with these tariffs, uh, we have not seen any change in China. We have, um, I mean, not, you know, we haven't seen any change in their intellectual property rights regime and their um, their technology transfer regime uh, and, and their really authoritarian approach to the market. If anything, they've just really dug in their heels on these things. So, you know, if we can't change them, well, then, well, at least we can, you know, have stronger ties with other countries. But, you know, other countries are going to want something in return. Um, it can't just all be happy talk. So, you know, if the U.S. is asking all these other countries for stuff on energy and, and, and Internet and digital flows and, and, uh, and so on, they're going to want greater market access into the U.S. and they're going to want out from under these tariffs. And if that's the case, then, you know, Congress is going to have to get involved. But it looks like right now they're just in the initial sort of feeling out stages and these talks, and we'll see how far each side wants to go. And that's uh, so important. And thank you for getting us past the happy talk, because often <laughs> that's where things <laughs> fall apart when you actually start getting into the, the details. And uh, also for pointing out that uh, if this does become formal uh, treaty territory, then Congress does have to be involved in, in that whole process, which is a, a good thing. Uh, I wanted to dig into something that uh, you had mentioned in terms of uh, the the sanctions not really working um, with China, especially as it relates to things like intellectual property. Uh, but you've also uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, if you think the sanctions on Russia are causing some ripple effects, uh, do we really know what that impact would be if we were to, to go harder on some of those sanctions as it relates to China? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we have a, a much stronger, uh, in terms of economic trade and investment uh, relationship with China, um, you know, in Taiwan for that matter, than we have with, uh, with Russia and Ukraine. But, um, but just in terms of the, the um, tariffs that we've had on over the past few years, um, you know, we've had uh, over $100 billion of tariff revenues collected. Those revenues have been collected by, from U.S. importers, right, U.S. businesses and U.S. consumers. Uh, and, you know, what do we really have to show for it? Um, but if we were just to continue on the tariffs, uh, and then, you know, in a really unfortunate case, if it was to get even worse, um, you know, that's just going to put even more uh, costs on the U- on U.S. businesses, on U.S. consumers, at a point in time where we are already facing uh, near record inflation, at least, you know, in most of our recent memories. So that's, uh, you know, something else that we're considering. There have been reported talks going on in the White House uh, where, you know, some in the White House are all for removing the tariffs. Others want to keep the tariffs on for leverage on China. Now, these are talks that, you know, are presumably continuing. Uh, but, you know, we do forget that the U.S. businesses, you know, and here would kind of get lost in all, the, in all the talk because they're really the ones that get stuck paying the higher prices for a lot of the in, intermediate inputs that, you know, that they buy from abroad uh, and a lot from China. And so, um, you know, while cutting the tariffs won't be a cure-all for our inflation, it definitely wouldn't hurt. And it would also help us get more bang for the buck on the other things that, uh, you know, the Fed is trying to do and agencies are trying to do cut costs as well. 
All right, and then just uh, real quickly, just about a minute to go here. Um, what what are you watching for? What what are the challenges that that are ahead as we look at how we interact with this part of the world? Well, this is tricky because you know we we are so um, entwined with China in terms of you know our economies and right. you know the two largest economies in the world. I mean, you know, nobody wants to be in a world where you know they're not getting along, right? So it really is in our interest and their interest for um, you know our two countries to to um, to, 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 to tr- keep getting along. Um, but the the problem is that you know we have this authoritarian government in China. Um, and they have taken a very harsh turn, uh, much different than what we had expected when we let them into the World Trade Organization, the World Trading Regime. Um, things have not turned out like we thought. And yeah, now the U.S. is doing some soul searching about, you know, what kind of world we want to live in in the future, and you know, and how much are we willing to pay for, um, you know, things don't exactly go the way we we had expected. Yeah, fantastic. Great insight. Christine McDaniel, Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. As I mentioned, she previously served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary at the U.S. Treasury Department and a Senior Trade Economist in the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Christine, great insight today on a very complex and complicated part of the world, uh, but critical to our future here in America. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Boyd. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how do we fix the tax code so working class families can truly get a chance for upward mobility. Deep discussion on that. Uh, Important conversation coming up here on Inside Sources. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.